0: From 11FS, I'm Will White, and this is Fintech Insider News. This week, we bring you into it to purchase Credit Karma in a landmark deal. JP Morgan wants to build a digital bank in the UK, and a hole in the wall is now a tourist hotspot. All this and much more in today's show. Welcome to episode 405 of Fintech Insider. I'm Will White, and today I'm joined by some awesome guests. Uh, Making their Fintech Insider debuts, we have Adam Granoff. Senior Vice President of Digital Payments at Mastercard. Hey, Will. How's it going?
1: It's going well. Thrilled to be here. And recently in New York. Yeah, recently. My stuff's not even here.
0: Cool. You must be thrilled. Still not- in
1: transit. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully it arrives on Tuesday. Good it's luck. Not missing California on a day like today when it's freezing. <laughs> I, it was 75 and sunny today in, in California, so I'm, I was trying to forget about that. But Nice. And we have Hayden Field, uh, Associate Editor of Entrepreneur Magazine. How's it
0: going?
2: Hey, glad to be here. And uh excited to make my debut
0: awesome and edwina johnson chief operating officer at alloy hello how's it going good thank you previously we realized we knew each other yeah, <laughs> so, and nice. making a welcome return visit we have john zanoff former managing uh, director at Techstars, stars yeah,
2: Now
3: doing many things it's great to be here i can't believe you didn't listen to your fans that told you never to have me back <laughs> <laughs> welcome to the show and thanks for joining us okay let's
0: get started Okay, the first story comes from TechCrunch. Uh, Intuit to buy uh, Credit Karma for $7.1 billion. If the cash and stock deal goes through, it would be the financial software company's biggest acquisition to date. Credit Karma would continue to operate as a separate company. It currently lets users check credit scores, secure credit cards, file their taxes, and more. Credit Karma currently makes $1 billion annually from its 100 million registered users of those customers' $37 million uh, use the service on a monthly basis. Last quarter, its revenue growth beat analysts' expectations, but the company missed analysts' earnings per share predictions. So what do we think of the sale? Uh, is Credit Karma worth more to Intuit than Plaid was to Visa?
3: John. Yeah, listen, I mean, we can pontificate all day on these valuations. I think it's fun to talk about just how unbelievable sky high they are. But at the end of the day, no one's doing cash flow analysis to say that this is a $7 billion or an $8 billion company it's the, there's a ton of cash in the system. When I say in the system, meaning private equity firms, VC firms, talked about Andreessen having a $3 billion fund to deploy into fintech. They have cash to deploy. And so where does that valuation come from? It's an uptick from previous valuations. It's investors wanting to take a certain percentage of companies. And in this case, it's fair value of what they have to pay now to acquire that company. And in this case, You've got uh, Intuit, flush with cash, and a CEO with a lot of pressure to, to take action, acquiring new customers and a new demographic that they didn't have previously. Right.
0: I thought it was kind of interesting because in the news, there was a lot of people compared the two deals. I don't know if that's entirely fair. Like, one, you're acquiring a lot of customers, and the other is kind of transformational for a, for a brand.
4: Yeah, I so. think it's just... Just like investment happening and everyone's like, is this the same? Did this happen again? Uh, I think one of the interesting things I read recently was on the Haystack blog talking about how Intuit spent 10% of their market value in a bull market on this deal and what that means in terms of like the necessity to own the customer and own that first customer interaction. Um, And I can definitely see that happening, not just on the B2C side, but happening in the B2B fintech as well. Right.
1: Yeah, I agree. I'm I mean, admittedly a bit biased because we've partnered with Intuit. If you didn't know, if you're a small business MasterCard cardholder, you can get 40 to 50% off of Intuit products. So nice. 40 to 50%? <laughs> <laughs> but it's, they're following the consumer. Yeah. Consumers want help with their financial lives, and uh, people are checking their credit scores and getting advice from Credit Karma and doing that regularly on a monthly basis. And that's great customer engagement for Intuit. And a great opportunity for them to bring that value and cross pollinate it with the information and data that's already on their platform. Right. I, I mean, I did, I was reading the, there was a great article from Ron Chevron in Forbes. Um,
0: he was critical of this and very, very pro the plaid deal. Um, his criticism was like, is this the right partnership? And I did think he made a fair point that like, does, would this be better to fit into like Amazon or someone like that? But I don't know. I, I'm not th- that strong on this sort of area. So I was kind of intrigued by it
2: yeah, I mean, I think that Amazon owns enough. and i'm I've been a little um wary lately of both Amazon and Google um, getting into new spaces, um, you know, health, finances. and so I think if anyone was going to to buy them, i can I can see into it doing it. so i I wasn't very surprised. But what I was surprised by was the fact that they're going to keep them. Relatively independent, or so they say, right. because I mean the brand value is huge of Credit Karma, but also I see that I mean Intuit has been a little shady in the past. I I remember the ProPublica investigation about um, them um, hiring a lot of lobbyists and uh, kind of doing a lot of work against um, making tax filing the government making tax filing free for consumers. So I am surprised that they wouldn't be, you know, kind of trying to find a way to use this consumer data to make their products' um, recommendations more accurate. um, Intuits, I mean. So it's just interesting that they're um, right now saying that they're going to keep the company separate. And I feel like in the fine print, maybe there would be something that's going to, you know, allow them to use this consumer data and really, um, you know, make it – viable across the platforms. So we'll see what happens there, but that's right. something that I'm really interested in how they're going to use the consumer data or if they're just going to let Credit Karma run with it because Credit Karma is pretty um transparent right now about what they're doing with it. You know, you have to opt in and they're very um you know, they explain in really simple terms what they're going to do with your data, which I do appreciate.
0: Okay. Yeah, I mean it was interesting cuz um on Twitter there was um kind of came up less in the articles
3: was a lot of that backlash around TurboTax and People not doing free filing. I mean, can you think of anything worse than than anyone lobbying to make taxes more difficult? Yeah. And that's exactly what they yeah, right. what they've done. But you know, at the at the end of the day, if you look at this acquisition, who's the right acquire? Who's not the right acquire? I mean, it, it, in mature markets, in theory, this is going to benefit consumers. This is going to drive costs lower. There's going to be some synergy between these companies, making things better. Uh, I'm of the opinion that. Credit Karma still has a lot of opportunity and therefore this merger isn't good for innovation. This isn't good. And uh, that was my same opinion on, on uh – on visa acquiring uh plaid and plaid acquiring Quovo before that i think that's taking innovation out of the market I think there's some fundamental theory or theorem that says the larger the company the slower they're going to be able to operate and these massive companies just aren't going to be able to bring new products to market and fast, i kind of like run like um, comparison there
0: which is like if, if amazon had walked away in 20, 2006 you know it was like a something low billions and now you know they kept going, and mm. Bezos is the richest man in the world. Is right. That right?
2: Yeah, and I I completely agree about. Uh, I think they did have a lot of room for innovation. I mean, their name has been you know spouted in a lot of different circles. A lot of um, you know new generations are using credit karma and trusting it. And I do think you know with Intuit's track record of um, past acquisitions, that um, you know we'll have to see what happens there because there you know some things have been sold off, some things have been closed or just not some things have been sold off some things have been um you know not as successful as I guess they imagined such as mint um so yeah I mean that that was an
0: interesting bit of the story I was trying to figure out because like I'm you know British obviously so like I'm aware of mint but was was the theory that it was going to go a lot further and then it got bought and just kind of ran it out of steam which we've
3: I mean, Mint was a first mover in terms of a single Good dashboard thing. to see all of your data in one place. Yeah. There. Are- and a lot out there on the fact that older millennials and 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 Gen X le- uh, were big mint consumers, but Gen Z simply and younger millennials simply haven't adopted it. I think that uh, at the end of the day, that's what's really interesting about this acquisition. If there's any takeaways other than guessing whether a $7 billion valuation is worth it, is being interested in what did Credit Karma do to acquire Gen Z and earlier mm. uh, millennials to to the platform. What I, What I think is it's in providing – transparency and education and financial literacy around the certain products. And what I mean by that is if you're going to buy a, a credit card, they were educating you on why they were making a recommendation for a particular MasterCard. If they were giving you your credit score, they're helping provide transparency and education in terms of why that's your credit score and, and actionable insights in terms of what you could do to do better. So comparing a mint to a credit karma, it's about transparency, not just telling you here's your account balance, but Here's here's why this is your account balance. Here's how you can improve your financial freedom. uh, And here are some other financial products. And this is why they might make sense in your life. I think those are the sort of the takeaways and what's really provocative and interesting about Credit Karma versus versus Mint. That makes sense.
0: Well, to go from one uh, small startup business to another, J.P. Morgan. Uh, Our next story, uh, J.P. Morgan is in talks to launch a digital bank in the U.K., uh, America uh this story is from the financial times America's biggest bank is consulting with the UK regulators about a digital operation that could be opened by the end of the year the new bank is expected to offer savings accounts and loans this isn't the first US bank to expand to to britain uh goldman sachs launched their Marcus savings account in the UK attracting 100,000 customers in its first month uh, on very high savings <laughs> rates both JP Morgan and the UK regulators declined to comment on the issue, although uh, the Financial Times clearly made it clear that it was happening. Um, is, this an int- is this an attempt to, like, uh, imitate Marcus's success? Is it, um, or is it something where, like, they tried Finn two years ago, and then that didn't work in the core market. And are they now trying it in a market where there's a lot of acceptance of digital products? Very leading question.
3: Did um, someone we know say that uh, anything Goldman can do, J.P. Morgan can do, as good or better? Did I did I hear that somewhere? <laughs> there was a quote from David uh, uh,
0: David Britt saying exactly that. Yeah, so, I don't know I, if I subscribe to that. <laughs> um, yeah, so David did say that, and I I think um, the interesting thing for me here is that like if you're if you haven't succeeded. If, Like if Finn didn't go well, then select a market where there's like a lot of adoption of digital banks and then and and quite a, a deep talent pool and go hard. I think it's a smart strategy, but maybe I'm I'm like, that was my view.
4: I'm, yeah, I'm intrigued to see how they got on. I think Goldman has been doing this, um, this like aqua hire of fintech strategy really well. And they've been doing it stealth mode and they don't talk too much about it, but suddenly your fintech friend is gone and they're bought by Goldman and then they're indoctrinated and, uh, and they're just running this really like well honed machine, as least as I can tell from the outside. Um,
1: and they're behind that really successful MasterCard, Apple card that's in market.
4: But um, We'll get Tell us stuff. more about it.
1: <laughs> well, it's our digital first card, the first in market. I don't know if, if anybody in the room has one, but it's this really great-looking metal card product. It's got no number on it. You can only find your number by going into the app and you use Face ID to authenticate so it's super secure. And it's got a great value prop, and it's, it's been growing like wildfire. It's great to be you know, partnered with them on it.
2: What's the weight like? It's right. Oh, wow. It's there you go. D- d- oh, you know it's
4: valuable! <laughs> yeah,
1: everyone who's got it is like it is pretty impressive
0: when you drop it. But I mean, like I mean Goldman's is yeah, you, always you kinda- drop it on the table by accident. <laughs> 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 but I mean, oh. Goldman's is always in that unique position, right? Because they they came out of the you know the financial crisis. They suddenly had to do something, and they mm-hmm. they've made some smart moves. I mean, like it's not. Cheap, but every move they've made, I think, is smart. Like,
4: what about the news? I think it was yesterday. Jamie Dimon saying that they want to pursue an aggressive MA strategy. Do you think they're going to buy one of the banks in the UK?
0: Well, that's an interesting question.
3: Man. Well, on the on the last podcast, I said no one can acquire Chime at this point. So I'm I'm, I'm hoping that that's not the case. <laughs> the uh, Listen. The other the other news story that I think ties directly into this is the fact that N twenty six is is leaving the UK. So you have a massive, well capitalized challenger bank giving the the regulatory environment in the UK saying, "You know what? Our European license is no longer good. We're we're leaving." I think that opens a door for a potential challenger bank, a potential well funded challenger bank, right. to step in. Uh, they had two hundred thousand accounts in the UK. That's that's not earth shattering, but it's a significant. Amount it, We talk a lot when we're deploying financial products in the U.S. is using a smaller market like Canada, for instance, to try. I think that's that may be what JP Morgan is trying right. to do, test it out, learn from it. Um, the only thing I, I feel that we can really learn from Finn um, and that quote-unquote failure, which I don't think uh, – Trying to innovate and deciding to um, divest in anything is is by by any means a failure. The thing that we can learn is that there were there was a lot of confusion between Chase's other products and the Fin offering. Right. And to go into a brand new market like the UK with a just net new digital first solution, I think has has a, a and, you know, and they have great n- chance.
0: zero consumer presence there. Yep, right? exactly. So right. I think it's super smart. Like it's almost taking like a like an R and D approach. It's like, hey, let's like, use this as the test case market. It's a good market to try and they – I mean, I would be worried if I was a challenger bank because if they – the way I, I read it, although the, it's quite information light, that article, but I didn't see it as an acquisition. I, I felt like they were going to try and build from scratch, mm-hmm. which if they do and they execute it well and they get success and they then they've got a repeatable model that they can then bring back to the US and they can start looking – um, how that would impact their like their core offering and maybe like new brands here. So I, I thought it was super smart. Mm.
4: Um, and it's an interesting approach banks taking, you know, taking a team and putting them out of the main office and doing something different and you know getting them to think things differently. Um, we've seen that happen a few times. I just don't <laughs> think the UK is short on challenger banks. Like I don't think it's like oh this is greenfield territory we can go. There are a lot of competitive players in there that are well funded that are getting good traction. So that's my only like is it as good as as we think it is like going into this separate market and testing it out?
0: It's kind of interesting. That's like, it's like a, it's like a, Country version of taking your team to Brooklyn or taking your team to Shoreditch, <laughs> yeah. putting them in a funky office. It's like go to, London. to London. yeah. <laughs> Full disclosure: Edwin and I were briefly in uh, startup boot camp together, which was yeah. kind of like that yeah. was how it was designed. It was like put you in a funky office and do f- see if like more interesting things will happen.
4: And now my Brooklyn accent can't tell.
0: <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Mine too, as
1: well. Right? <laughs> yeah. um So uh, yeah, and, and I, I think I
0: think uh, it's a very smart move.
1: Yeah, with such an exciting fintech market in the UK, there's no reason for J.P. Morgan to sit on the sidelines. right? right. They've got the capabilities to participate, uh, and uh, the the market hasn't been won. No. Well, there's great players, there's lots of opportunity, and, and I think it's exciting that, that they're doing that. Um, so looking forward to seeing more.
0: Yeah, and I, actually that's a good point, because I think um, a lot of the the new entrants there have taken the younger market, the experimental market, but in terms of digital play, there's, like, there's still... 60 million people who aren't
1: getting anywhere near that stuff. I think a lot of lending opportunity. I mean, right. they, of course, have a ton of experience there. So we'll see if they leverage some of that. Yeah, right. And, I, and I'm always kind of fascinated by the like the
0: young retiree kind of market who, you know, they, they have like needs. They're kind of digitally focused and like they would love to see something. But if it had a JP Morgan backing, they'd be like,
3: oh, I sort of know that's like a, a good name. So... Yeah, I think a a battleground moving forward um, is going to be, can any financial institution offer products across customer segments? So if you talk about why, from an execution standpoint, FIN failed. Potentially, one of the big reasons where, we're, like I said, um, conflict with the other Chase products and the fact that JP Morgan wa- is excited to launch a digital-first solution in right. the UK may suggest something similar. So if you look at Battlegrounds in the next two, five, ten years, it's going to be from a product standpoint and from a technology standpoint, how can you have a single te- tech platform that satisfies the needs of, of customers across segments? And I think we'll, we'll hear more about that in the future.
0: Yeah, and and uh, like, and it's not just JP Morgan and Finn. Like, it's happened in other banks have faced the same challenge. It's like, hey, we're doing this new brand, and it's, it's a,
3: it's challenging. You're either right? one or you're either one or the other. Whereas these guys are a new entrant.
2: Right, and um, I also think it'll be really interesting as, as um, AI progresses a bit to see how transactions will be sorted, how fraud will be detected. I think right now a lot of the problems with um, these kind of All in one platforms, or that they're just not um, meeting consumer needs. Um, Especially back to um, Mint, for example. Like, you know, most of the reason that many of many people I know stopped using it is because it it just wasn't accurate, and it wasn't um, allowing them to kind of create new um, spending categories and and really track their own spending. And so, I think that's going to be something we'll see over the next five ten years as well. Just as um, these sorting algorithms get more accurate, um, you know, it might. The person with the best tech is definitely going to be, of course, at the forefront. And, you know, by word of mouth, um, people start to defect to that platform because it'll just be the most accurate and the least work for them in terms of managing their own finances.
0: Right. And if they achieve it there, they can bring it back, which is kind of pretty smart. Staying in the UK, um, uh, this story is from The Telegraph. Uh, Monzo introduces a new credit score tool into their app. So the UK Challenger app will gradually roll out a feature that lets customers check their credit score for free. The tool will also tell users how and why to use credit scores and why it's changed each month. Monzo will uh, get credit score data from TransUnion, uh, which they've got a series of blogs explaining, you know, there's like three suppliers and this is what you got. Um, Existing players like Ulster Bank and RBS have these features. Barclays has it for a cost, which seems unusual. Five pounds. Yeah, five pounds, right? Um, I guess. What do we make of this, and why is Monzo rolling this out now?
4: Do they offer credit right now? I not absolutely. Uh, right.
0: Yeah, they do. They offer um, some credit products. Mm. It seems like a play into the credit karma space, which would be clear score in the UK, right? It's that, like, I mean, it's kind of an interesting one because it's a nice piece of information to have, but your your credit score isn't as important. In the UK, it's kind of a nice thing to have. I mean, Clearscore I think is the most visited fintech out there, so it, it clearly works and people use it, and they do take credit cards and stuff off it. But it's not as important as it is here in the US. So it's kind of an interesting
3: feature to put in there. Um, I assume it's to do with that uh, transparency in terms of your finances are is absolutely critical to to Gen Z. Uh, Millennials gave Gen Z a bad name, this idea of set it and forget it. I don't know wanna I don't want to know anything about my finances. I'm not gonna go into a branch. It's different with Gen Z. Um they grew up in a time where they don't trust Wall Street, they don't trust financial right. services, they want more transparency and and they wanna take more action than, than just about any generation before them. So for me, it makes perfect sense. I think it's table stakes. I think transparency in terms of your your credit. Your credit score. Why that's the case. How to grow wealth. How to take uh, an, an incremental step is going to be table stakes moving forward. And you know, you know, it's it's also there. No surprise why why Barclays hasn't moved and uh, and and dropped that price to, to zero because they're they're just typically lagging the rest of the market.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. I you know I, I look at Monzo, who's a partner actually of MasterCards. It's like we we couldn't have written the news any better this week. <laughs> um, all, all our partners. Our are producers coming up. are great, <laughs> uh, but uh, they. You know, they're a really mission-driven company. They're trying to improve banking and bring better tools to the consumer. And I think this is an extension of what they've already been doing and bringing credit scores and information into the app that give not only them an opportunity to engage differently with their customer, but really provide valuable financial information to them and hopefully take that to the next level and help consumers improve their financial lives, I think is a really great step. Uh, So excited to see them do it.
0: And if you actually, I was reading the blogs today, and, and they're really putting up front exactly what you say, John. It's like the training app. Element. It's like, you know, what does this even mean? And that's a big thing in the UK, like is, you know, your credit score doesn't dictate. It's not thought of in your job or your rental or anything like that. It's it's just something you when you're getting a credit card you get, but it's really explaining what's there. How do you get it up? They, they're starting with that training element. And that earns trust, and then that earns the ability for someone to – if they then offer you a credit product, you'd be more willing.
3: Also, you're talking to a huge fan of fintech here, but I think that's the opportunity. Fintech can be that roadmap to a, a better financial future, and, and Monzo's caught on. Credit Karma caught on. Right. The folks that, 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 that haven't are, are going to lag the market. Right.
4: It's a, yeah, I – I think any kind of activity to educate consumers better about con- credit score is, is really valuable. Um, and the fact that the credit score and the data that's being ingested in credit score and what's been accepted for credit in the U.S. is changing is really positive. And I hope that there's some change like happening in the U.K. from that perspective as well. Um, but helping everyone like understand all those different factors that, that fall into it is really important.
0: Yeah, and no, I'm I'm kind of – I mean, always full disclosure, I did work there. but And we always sort of praise them a lot. But they are great. I've, um, you know, they're starting to fulfill their promise, which is kind of, um, one of the things that I, I now do is I get my salary paid in there and I put all my payments on like automatic now. And it's not like a lot of people have said, oh, well, you're never going to get your pet salary paid in there. But like I do now because you send it, it sends off to the pots and then it gets sent back on the right day and it's really easy to set up. So I'm kind of fascinated because, you know, some people have offered, here's your credit score and it's kind of interesting. But like, what am I meant to do with it? You know, like it just goes up and it goes down each month. And then occasionally there's an aggregator who gives me a credit card when I'm in trouble. <laughs> like, so this would be kind of interesting to see what they do with it, I think. Cool. Um, we'll be back shortly. Let's take a quick break. This podcast is brought to you by Stake, the digital brokerage, bringing you unrivaled access to the U.S. market. Invest in over 3,500 U.S. stocks and ETFs, including game-changing companies like Google, Amazon, and Tesla. Trading is instant, direct, and commission-free. With a fully digital sign-up, you'll be in the market in minutes. So visit HelloStake or search Stake Trade to seize the U.S. market's $31 trillion worth of opportunity today. In 11FS updates, we're hiring for a venture lead for 11FS in New York. We're looking for someone who is based in New York City who can help us shape, build, and deliver awesome next-generation propositions for our clients here in the U.S. Head over to 11FS.com. Forward slash careers. That's 11fs.com forward slash careers to find out more about the role and apply if you think you'll love it. Okay, back to the news. Now for some international news. This Uh, is from the Wall Street Journal. Uh, Morgan Stanley to buy uh, E Trade. The 13 billion all stock takeover is the largest of its kind since the 2008 financial crisis eTrade currently holds 360 billion in assets and brings with it five million customers. It will keep its brand and storefronts and campaigns. Morgan Stanley will bring eTrade into its wealth management arm, giving the Wall Street giant 3.1 trillion in client money and eight million users. The deal is expected to go through in Q4. So, um, in November last year, there was rumours that Goldman was going to buy eTrade.
3: Okay, what does anyone make of this deal? Hey, there's a, I mean, there's a couple things funny. One, I, I cut my teeth at, at E-Trade, um, was uh, in my in my 20s I was the one when the etrade was sending order flow to exchanges all over the world I was sort of the young gun engineer on the phone with the uh, technical side of those exchanges troubleshooting any connectivity issues while uh, at the time for perspective E-Trade was six percent of the US market in terms of order flow so you know near and dear to my heart the one of my favorite things was you get a portion up, of that 13 billion I, I should Um, I won't get into the mortgage hedge fund that killed the company. But uh, but nevertheless, I mean, one of my favorite things where you talk about you know, E-Trade being, quote-unquote, less affluent customers, I still use E-Trade for a number of my accounts, so I'm one of those less affluent uh, right. customers. Listen, I... Is, is that what's driving them, you know, like Morgan Stanley, to invest here? Is it is it is it to
0: move away from their kind of traditional customer base?
3: Yeah, we, t- we talked about uh, the reason that, you know, JP Morgan and Finn struggle to set aside multiple uh, customer segments. This is what's really, really hard. There's no question that Morgan Stanley isn't Fantastic with a high touch wealth business. And they really struggle with the people that want to hit their own keys, the, the self directed traders, the self directed investors. So, you know, I like this business. Uh, I have fond memories of my, my time at E Trade, and, and, and I think it's going to be successful. The it, it, This is the, what could not be successful is they have significantly different cultures. Um, I don't think I'll be surprising anyone when I say Morgan Stanley is one of the more traditional financial services institutions in the world, not just the states, but in the world. And that affects everything that they do do. Uh, I think in general, uh, uh, taking an extreme stance, i say they'd be afraid of change at times versus E-Trade that, that is not afraid to right. take chances and, and develop new products and launch new products very quickly. So that's going to be interesting from a cultural standpoint, what will happen there.
4: Do we, know how do we know how they're planning to manage those brands, whether they're going to keep it more separate or try and fold it into the larger organization? Or is that yet to, to unfold?
0: I think they're keeping the brand separate.
4: Mm.
0: Um. I mean, it, it does seem culturally very different, like, researching this story. I mean, if you've been there, like, Morgan Stanley sort of classically suits and smart and, like, high net worth. and
2: Yeah, it should be interesting to see what happens with, with the innovation at E-Trade, too, and the, just the slowdown that I, I expect because although even if they keep them separate, um, you know, they're still going to have a lot more oversight. They're going to have to run a lot more decisions by um, people that are in a more traditional um, mindset, right. likely, especially if it's a larger decision, which is what's going to drive innovation. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to be interested to see kind of the rate of new products being rolled out or the rate of, um, you know, changes at that company um, after this, because I, I just can't expect that that they're not going to have a lot of um, more traditional people to answer to. And um, I think there's going to be a lot of compliance uh, and a lot of red tape that they're going to have to kind of yeah. go through
0: is is this the, is this just like an old brand buying i mean what's the plan here is it that it's an old brand buying something that's cool or is it coverage or like what's driving all of these like mergers in the in the wealth space like you know Charles Schwab and um, Ameritrade is, is it is it just coverage is it the the like the 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 drive down on fees like or is it just this company, like does Morgan Stanley I mean what's I-, I was kind of intrigued as to what's driving this. Is it Morgan Stanley feels like it's like losing its core business and needs to find a new market or
1: I mean I think you've got a lot of competition in the space. Right. It's- and in that competition, folks are finding it is the right opportunity to pair up. Right. Right. And this is an example of that. And it's a dynamic space. There's been a lot of innovation, especially, you know, from the fintech segment, folks like Robinhood and others who, you know, in the same way that E-Trade really t- democratized trading access to right. a segment of the the consumer base in the, in, in the U.S., uh, you know, uh, sort of over their history – Robinhood now doing like fractional investing, democratizing it even further, reaching beyond. There's just so much going on uh, for you know Morgan Stanley to resonate and deliver you know services that customers are are valuing and that are digital first. They you know this was their choice, right? To to acquire someone rather than than build you know their their self themselves and. Uh, I think uh, it's it's uh, it'll be interesting to see if there's even more consolidation in the space as as it continues to
0: evolve. Because it's always it is always challenging for those kind of older brands, right? Because they can't suddenly turn turn around and be like, hey, we've you know we put on sneakers and you know a hoodie and stuff, right? So and and you know sometimes it's just smarter to go out and buy, it, I guess, if you've got the the war chest.
4: Yeah, I think the importance of of getting that new market segment and having an offering that really appeals to a new market is uh, like is just so valuable to a traditional brand if it's just right there and then they can tap in and they have something that's built specifically around that customer segment. And when you talked about tech earlier, and like the value of like the best in class tech will win out. I think it's best in class tech, but that's tailored to a particular market segment and like really honed in on that. Right. That makes sense.
0: And I wonder if it will present different challenges. I mean, because you're an ally, right? You know, like it's all like, Everyone's thinking about revenue and more share, but like there's also the other side, it's like operationally, right? Because
4: who doesn't love operations, Will?
0: (laughs) (laughs) He doesn't, but it's (laughs) it's true, right? Like um, these are fundamental, I I assume E Trade is run on a very different basis, right? Yeah, yeah. Morgan Stanley, it's like, oh, you've got lots of money, come in and work for it, work with, um, like, be a customer. Whereas E Trade's got a much, a much broader customer base. So it's even those kind of clashes you can imagine happening. Mm. What is Ally? Sorry.
4: Uh, Alloy is identity and risk decisioning through a single API and dashboard for the financial industry.
0: Right. And it's, I mean, the interesting thing often is, is that it's that kind of like um, stuff that causes the problems, right? Because you have, you have two types of businesses with two types of risk profiles. And it actually comes down to quite operational concerns can sometimes cause trouble, but it'd be interesting to see where it goes. Our next story is from completely the other side of the world. So we have Grab raises money amid GoCheck merger rumors. Um, I don't know a whole lot about GoCheck. I'll be perfectly honest if anyone else does. I think this is mostly around these Asian super apps, right? So I think um, the most interesting here is a story from TechCrunch. Uh, Grab, the big Southeast Asian super app, has secured $856 million in additional funding for its payments and financial services division. So I think that's kind of the interesting story here, is like it's like a land grab.
3: Is it? Is it
1: Mastercard partnered with Grab? It's funny that you bring that up. <laughs> we we actually <laughs> yeah we actually are partnered with Grab. They they have a really cool product uh, in market uh, that launched in Singapore first. It's our first uh, um, numberless card in in the market. And one of the main reasons they launched it is that it's a really cash heavy market. And there was lots of um, like security concerns and and all of this you know Struggles of of dealing with cash and to take cash out of the system. What they've done is uh, they've you know offered customers a card right. and and as a rider you can actually bring cash to to the ride and hand it to the driver and uh, upload your account with with money and then be able to use that uh, wherever a Mastercard is accepted. And that product has really resonated, brought a lot of folks that. Didn't have bank accounts into the digital financial ecosystem and okay. a, a really great inclusion play and we're thrilled that you know this this money is you know being focused on expanding those uh, financial and, and payments products and thrilled that, that they see so much opportunity you know there because because we do as well and excited to see you know what'll happen next. And I'm I'm kind of always with the super apps. It seems to be just about
0: scale, right? The more the more customers you have, the The better, the stronger they are. The super apps. I mean, this started as a ride, so like a ride-sharing app, right?
1: It took out Uber in Southeast Asia. It did, and it's changed. They've evolved really quickly into a whole bunch of new space. I mean, payments is one, but it's becoming a place where you can. uh, but, you know, they're, they're, they're bringing more products and services into the Grab experience, not unlike you're seeing, with, you know, with Uber and Lyft diversifying into other forms of, you know, transportation and uh, Uber Eats, right? Uh, right. So, they're, they're really exploiting that uh, logistics opportunity that, that they have and in, in with the number of users that are on their platform. So, it's, it's interesting to see, you know, what they'll do next.
0: Right. And I guess I guess in, in a market in which there's not enough, there's the financial services industry is kind of uh, lighter. It's kind of a, it's a smart way to get more and more
3: adoption. John. You know, uh, The furthest thing from a Southeast Asia m and expert here, but I think there's, you know, <laughs> there are a couple- alone in the room on that. Yeah, there are <laughs> co- you know, a couple salient points here, and you know, things to keep in mind, contacts with this particular deal. You know, out, Asia's outpaced uh, Europe the last two quarters in a row in terms of both number of deals and capital. We, we actually don't have Lindsay Davis from CB insights right. here so I felt compelled to share some statistics with everybody <laughs> uh, so you know the deal volume in in, in Asia continues to to, to accelerate and w- w- one of the things that I do like this uh, about this or that I think is provocative about this is that some of this money is getting to deployed again to acquire a new customer segment from a financial services perspective, you're making investments in the gig economy or, or contract workers in 1099 economy, such as Grab, such as Lyft, such as Uber, specifically because folks want to bank that customer segment. It's a different um, how you acquire those customers and the features that they need are completely different. And financial institutions are taking an, an M&A approach right. instead of a build approach to, to access those consumers. And I always think that, like, um, whether it's Asia South South America or Africa,
0: there's, like, there's so much more to do there because it's like, it's, it's kind of, it, for a large segment of the population there, it's Greenfield, yep. right? So you, yeah, while we're still trying to figure out how to plug into the existing payment system and all the rest, it's like, if you want to go really experimental, I always say to people just, you know, head off, head off out of Europe and the US because there's just so much more to do. Um, and if you're starting from scratch, like how would you do a point of sale system? How would you set up a bank? So it'd be very interesting to see. Cool. Well, back in the UK, uh, this story comes from TechCrunch. Revolut has achieved a 5.5 billion dollar valuation. Uh, the fintech startup raised 500 million in a Series D funding round led by TCB, who I don't actually know a whole lot about. Is it? Um, I don't know much about that fund. I don't recognize it. Uh, Ten million customers it- are reported to use Revolut. Uh, And in uh, 2019, its user base grew by 169%, which seemed very specific. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) uh, After the round, uh, the company teased new retail and business lending services. It will also add to its premium and metal uh, card features. Um, Revolut is also continuing, and this I think is most interesting. It's continuing expansion into the US and Japan, which has been a bit slower. So the big question uh, is Revolut worth 5.5 billion. It's a leading question. I think they've done extremely well. I guess the question is
1: around like what's the valuation based on? Um is it based on user numbers, is it, is it based on potential? I mean, their user numbers have been tremendously impressive. I'm I'm not a valuation expert, and surprise, surprise, <laughs> we must be doing something right because this is another partner of Mastercard. <laughs> <laughs> Would you believe it, Mastercard? <laughs> <laughs> Would Revolut? They actually they were part of our our accelerator start path in 2015, and thrilled to see them now. You know, a really impressive unicorn expanding around the globe. They, you know, our our partnership with them has has you know started then and and has continued till now, and uh, it's it's been exciting for us to be a part of that journey, right. and uh, that you know our our product strategy and uh, what we're doing to um, deliver value for them is has been resonating. So uh, excited to see their their valuation grow, you know, continue to grow. I, I expect they'll continue to expand and and bring new product features to market, right. and, and hopefully we'll continue to be a part of it. Because they're currently in like. Uh, thirty to forty countries. I mean, it always seems like a terrifying um,
0: challenge to run thirty to forty countries at the same time. <laughs> um, I mean, I know they are, you know, very aggressive with their expansion, um, very focused on doing that. Um, it's just, um, it's kind of interesting to see how they'll manage that. I, I'm, I'm very interested in their US launch because it's always about to happen soon. Um,
3: but has one to watch. Yet. I mean, it, you know, the is. Five and a half billion dollars of fair valuation. They've gone uh, increased their customer base three hundred percent in two years. Does that justify more than a two x in their valuation? I don't particularly think so. But that's not how these things are valued anyway. I think you know, as a question is: Are are we in a fintech bubble right now with some of these valuations? You know, that's why I'm actually excited. April first, you're going to be you're going to be heading the uh, the eleven FS debate, talking uh, on stage at Empire Startups whether we're whether actually in um, a current. Fintech bubble with with Reuters, with DVO One, several yeah, others. Sort right. of in there I mean, thanks, John. It you, there. You're,
0: you're making me moderate two of my let's, team members. Yeah, <laughs> <yeah, laughs> yeah. You know, let's
3: unpack whether we're 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 in a bubble at at, at that point. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, I think these valuations are driven by the amount of cash in the system, the amount of um, cash that in, investors want to deploy to, right. to reach excess valuations beyond the the, the public market, and, and that's what's driving these. I
4: think there is a need. Well, there is a, an, a you know a strong trend coming out of um, Silicon Valley to focus back in on profitability and focus back in on revenue and right. and that push to be um, not just looking at user acquisition but you know what what you can you know um, what revenue you can get from those and there's um, a news coming out of the valley that there is a slowdown that there are a lot of startups that are Having to let people go. Um, and I think that's going to be a ripple effect that we'll see in fintech, particularly in the B2C side of things, and, and having to see people kind of refocused away just from user acquisition.
0: Yeah, and the profitability is like, I mean, like by de- default, it's two things, right? It's your cost and your revenue. Right? Mm. I mean, <laughs> like, well, accountant in the room. Um, but it's it's true, right? Like, And uh, the cost of running across 30, 40 countries is, is really quite challenging because. It, you know, you've got to run a team there. You've got mm. to. Each country always has slight nuances on how you treat the customer, how you look after them, all that kind of compliance stuff. Plus, you've got to get vendors in every country. Uh, and then on the on on the flip side, like, how do you uh, revenue is going to be based on do customers really love the product? And I and I always wonder in the US whether their, their absolute USP when they started was was FX, right? Mm. It was for the traveling. Uh, it was it was for the person who traveled a lot and wanted to save doesn't seem to have as much resonance here. So they've got to find a different customer base, I think.
4: Mm. Um, I would agree. And the and the U.S. is just, it's such a different market. Um, it's like tens of thousands of banks and credit unions here. It's right. like... How do you stand out from from all of those offerings that are, and many of them do have really niche, really specific markets that they're targeting and really specific offerings, even if sometimes the tech's not quite up to scratch. But they're really like servicing a core cool market. So as a challenger bank coming from the UK, where you're just competing with a you know a handful of like large players that are well known, you really have to to find your mark in there. And they make it so hard to switch too. You're you're kind of
2: cemented in sometimes when you do join a bank, especially if you um join when you're younger or in college. I still have two Wells Fargo credit cards that do nothing for me that I can't get rid of because I Do you actually sign up for
3: those yourself or do they sign you up? Uh,
2: oh, I signed <laughs> up as a, you know, a sophomore in college thinking, "Oh, well, I need to build my credit and they're like, well, sign up for these two. And they have absolutely no benefits at all, but I have to keep them open because they're my first credit cards and my credit history depends on that. So it's hard because I am not married to Wells Fargo, but I can't switch because, you know, until later on when my credit history is a little longer. So it is interesting because um, a lot of I, a lot of um, the Gen Z market is concerned with, you know, interest rates and in which bank, um, which new or emerging bank can really give them the best bang for their, their buck. But Some of them um, are already kind of, you know, cemented into these relationships with with, um, existing banks in the U.S., and so I think it's going to be interesting to see, you know, how that plays out over the next few years. Like, you know, will – that's another reason why I think the Credit Karma and Intuit merger is so interesting because, you know, with those two um, companies, you know, you can – your data is portable and you own it, so – um, yeah I think that'll be really interesting too and so even though other banks might offer you more um, you know how can you get out of your relationship with your current bank and maybe consider other options
0: so that's, that's an interesting challenge I hadn't thought of because I was I was thinking more about like and, and also who do they actually target right like because it isn't the same customer base here mm-hmm. but equally it's a much bigger market um, with like quite you know you you find a significant pocket here you can get a lot further forward um.
3: I mean here it brings up a at the end a pretty important point which is you can take the data with you i think you know will i love your thoughts just on challenger banks coming to the us and open banking in the uk it's a, it's a little bit different it does help transitioning or switching becomes uh, a little bit easier there's less friction when switching thanks to open banking is it going to be the same in the us will they will they realize the same success it's i think to the point it's you don't want to you don't want to get rid of Wells Fargo cuz it's hard it's going to affect your credit it's going to be a challenge um does 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 regulation need to change in the US really to spur innovation i
0: um, mean we're kind of lucky i guess cuz we got the account switching service which is like really clean cut i i actually don't know how it works but it does work so you literally just say i want to go from one bank to the other and everything moves across yeah so you know any payments you got to going out. Any relationship, so you can move it across. Like it's really, really easy, and that's government-driven. I guess open banking kind of. I think is more like data-driven. Uh, um, I think. I, I don't know. Like, what's my view? Um, yeah, on the open banking thing, I, I don't know. Like, I'm not. I'm not sure. No, I'm like, ex- I don't think it makes things much easier to switch accounts. Okay. Right. So, um, cool. And finally, we have a very British story for which I'm going to have to apologize like four or five times here. Usually the and finally kind of like leads to an interesting debate about something. But this time we've got a hole in the wall is to become a tourist hotspot. Uh, This is from the BBC. Uh, A wall beside an ATM in a small British town has become a tourist attraction after online pranksters boosted its TripAdvisor rating. Featuring a distinct uh, round hole, the wall has become the fourth most popular attraction in Ilkston in Derbyshire which I'm sure everyone in Derbyshire is now going to kill me because I've probably mauled that name. Um, the reason this is particularly funny is in the UK, uh, slang for an ATM is a hole in the wall. Apparently it was put in place because um, uh, it was trying to uh, stop people like seeing your, your pin number uh, which seems like an amazing feature for someone to build in a town. Uh, It's uh, apparently the one user wrote, the city of Agra has the Taj Mahal, Paris has the Eiffel Tower, and Sydney has the Opera House, but all pale in comparison to the impact on the soul of laying eyes on Ilkston's Hole in the Wall.
4: I just want to know what this means for Bude Tunnel. Bude Tunnel (laughs) was the number one tourist attraction in the UK in 2018, and it was a plastic tunnel outside a superstore where you could push your trolley down. (laughs) I just love people. Uh,
0: and I love that because it, um, uh, my family has a farm right near Bud. it? It's just like a rolling, like, it seems to be just like a rolling British thing that's going on at the moment. People go on to TripAdvisor, they find the most rubbish thing in their town and like, and they're like, oh, that's... That's what's going to become. Make over. it a
3: thing. I don't know. Did you guys know that Mastercard has a partnership with this particular? <laughs> oh, oh man.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I I will never. The second I saw this story, I couldn't stop thinking about this shed at Dulwich. That um, did you guys hear about that? It's like the fake restaurant that um. Oh,
4: yes. Someone in the UK, I think right. they're a
2: Vice journalist. Maybe they um, started just like. Ballooning all these fake reviews for this restaurant and talking about how exclusive it was. It only had, had like three seats. You know, it was the most amazing food they'd ever seen, et cetera. And um, they they didn't take many reviews before people started calling. You I'm know, booking. the guy's <laughs> yeah. cell number, b- trying to get in. He he just basically said every single time, oh, "I'm sorry, we're booked. We're booked." And it became the most popular Tripadvisor site um for a restaurant like, in the whole area, maybe even. I, I can't remember how, it, was it was definitely out, in the whole of London. Yeah,
0: yeah the whole, yeah, whole yeah, restaurant.
2: Yeah. Exactly. And so I mean it's just hilarious that, you know, it was first a hilarious commentary on how what people will do to get into anything exclusive, <laughs> no matter what it is, when it's just a shed. And then two, yeah, I just think it's great that um it, it was just a great prank to to play on um some the, people for an attraction. So yeah.
0: Yeah, and like the Butte Tunnel is literally it's just like a it's just like a plastic tunnel next to a, a, a supermarket. And they made it like the number one attraction in the whole area. I, love that. I don't know. Like I, I and there's there's always rumors that tourists go there and I can't believe any tourist is so stupid to go and look at a hole in the wall or a, a tunnel. But I kinda love the story, I guess.
2: The only way I can I would do it is um, I recently drove a moving truck from Atlanta to New York and I was like, you know what, I'm gonna make it a road roadside America type thing. So I stopped and saw all sorts of dumb things, but I feel like that's the only the only world in which I would stop and see something like that.
0: The one Fin Take part of this, which is like uh, also uh, if it is genuinely true that this was, this was built so that you could see someone
3: looking at your pin number, it
4: <laughs> that just seemed like a very surreal crime. It's actually a
0: security <laughs> measure, <That's>
3: right. Right. <laughs> Yeah. I mean I hate to throw shade, but it's just interesting to me that it's the first time Nat West ever found their way onto an innovative fintech podcast. <laughs> <That's to be
0: laughs> in <laughs> yeah. NatWest has made a couple of smart moves in the last couple of weeks, actually. <laughs> um, um Allison's come in and really like taking the whole like
1: uh, digital bank very well. But awesome. it's I'd, fair. I <laughs> just feel badly for whoever got knocked out of the top five most popular places on TripAdvisor, right, by the hole in the wall. That's a, <laughs> right. it's a bummer. Yeah, yeah. Some genuine uh, entrepreneur uh, with
3: entire With a real, life, real, yeah, life, it's real it's, business that's being impacted. And then, yeah. Well, yeah. At, least,
2: at least MasterCard got a good partnership out of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: That wraps up this week's new show. Uh, thank you so much for all our guests. Uh,
1: where can people find out about you? Adam? So me personally, Adam Granoff on LinkedIn, uh, and more about MasterCard, MasterCard.com or, or at MasterCard on Twitter. And uh, if you're a, a fintech interested in our accelerator, StartPath, check out StartPath.com. Great. Edwina? E-
4: equally, I'm on LinkedIn, Twitter, Edwina Johnson, and Alloy is, the website is alloy.co. Otherwise, you could end up at a t-shirt company.
3: And it has a seriously nice team. I've, I've never met anyone nasty there. We so, are lovely. Yeah. If you never want me to be on the show again, hit me up at John Zanoff on Twitter. Probably more importantly, April 1st, the Empire Fintech Conference. If you think we're in a fintech bubble, if you don't think we're in a fintech bubble, the entire 11FS team will be there debating it live on stage. Hope to see everyone there. It's going to be a serious, exciting day.
2: I'm Hayden Field. I'm at Hayden Field on Twitter. And then um, you can visit entrepreneur.com for any type of fintech advice, startup needs, um, we have a lot of great articles for people that are starting out a business or looking to get into fintech.
0: Amazing. Uh, and I'm on I'm at Will White 11 fs on Twitter. Thanks for listening. If you like what you've heard, subscribe to our podcast and don't forget to leave us a review. It helps us make it better and helps other people find the show. Speaking of which, if you know someone who loves fintech who isn't listening to the Fintech Insider podcast, pass along the pod and tell them about the show. If you have any suggestions or feedback, Find us on social media, uh, search for 11FS or Fintech Insider or email us at podcast at 11FS.com. That's 11FS.com. Thank you very much and goodbye.